0: welcome to Burst, inspiring open-minded and open-hearted people looking to fully realize their true potential. Want to learn more about our podcast? View show notes or see what we offer? Then visit Burst.fm. And while you're there, hit the button to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss out. And to keep up with all things Burst, be sure to join our Facebook group. Now, without further ado, let's jump right in. I'm really excited today to introduce Alan Leach again. And if you missed our last podcast with Alan about dreams, please look at the show notes. You've not got to miss this. Go and have a look. Check it out. He does a fantastic demo. Um, So that's available for you. But Alan is, is a gestalt psychotherapist. He trained in the Institute of Philadelphia. He's got 32 years experience in counseling and psychotherapy. And his expertise is bereavement, dreams and shame. Alan is running workshops. He's done them all over the world and now his workshops are online. Sir, thanks ever so much, Alan. Welcome.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Nikki and Mike.
0: Alan, my first question to you is, what exactly is shame? Uh,
1: that's a good question. Uh, but maybe we should start off looking at what is guilt? Because often guilt and shame get mixed together. Uh, so if you start looking at what guilt is, yeah, guilt is sometimes experienced as feeling bad for something that you've done. Yeah, so okay. therefore you have this manifestation of guilt. Yeah. Shame is different because shame is about not necessarily something that you've done, but it's about you as a person.
0: Yeah. So
1: I have done this and I feel bad about me rather than I feel bad about what the act that I've done. So therefore in answering your question, shame is about feeling yourself Flawed in some way, that's not necessarily to do with what you've done, but who you are.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yes, obviously, massively linked to to guilt. That's amazing.
1: So, how did we actually gain shame? Okay, well, I think to answer that question, what we need to recognise is that there are two types of shame. Yeah, there is often what people uh, voice uh, mostly, which is toxic shame, the stuff that feels pretty dreadful and horrible, uh, that often people don't even feel, they just avoid it. Yeah, and that's how it influences our actions. But then there is also healthy shame. Uh, And healthy shame is something that we are born with. Uh, It's kind of an internal disposition That we have that in orders us to be able to judge our actions and to be able to be aware of what's appropriate and isn't appropriate within a situation so really you could liken it to fight or flight yeah it's a kind of an effective toolkit that we are born with that serves a purpose ultimately to keep ourselves safe Uh, yes yeah but here what we've got and where the difficulty comes is when that healthy shame uh, which we all need uh, becomes uh, toxified it becomes toxic shame Uh, and then it's not necessarily about the situation you know this is inappropriate what I'm doing so I'm not going to do it it becomes about I'm an inappropriate person there is something wrong with me. So therefore, shame, healthy shame is situational. Yeah, unhealthy shame is about me as a person because that unhealthy shame somehow binds to me and makes me feel uh, bad as a person, flawed as a person. Uh, Somehow a, a person who is of no value
2: so building on that, I've I've got something that that goes on for me and okay. sometimes it makes me feel guilty, um, or or there's that there's that guilt shame play in there and, and I I know that it's something which is a gift for me, but then sometimes people will question me about it and so therefore I feel guilt. So basically I could be watching TV and yeah. some advert will come on and all of a sudden I'll start crying because emotionally something really nice is happening for somebody and I can see that playing out and I have tears of joy and people say, oh, what are you so soppy for? And, and so, you know, I feel guilt because should I be feeling that or is it shame that I'm feeling? So, so I suppose there's two questions in there. What's that all about and what is it I'm really genuinely feeling?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a really good example. And certainly we could look at Rennie Brown's work, known as the Shame Woman, or the spiritual awakening woman, yeah, that she talks about shame often linked to vulnerability, yeah. And here we've got a situation where you are being moved by something uh, and therefore you cry, yeah, which means that there's a certain amount of vulnerability in that emotion. And then you've got somebody who then attempts to shut you down by saying you're soppy, which then is a shaming thing to say. And my guess is then you could take that as personal, like there's something wrong with me. Yeah, yeah. And that person is doing that because actually they're escaping their vulnerability because it brings out in them like, no, don't do that, because you're gonna make me be put in touch with my vulnerability.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's that's amazing. I just um sir, so just to try and try and understand this a bit further, is so you're saying that were born with a certain amount of healthy shame. Is that
1: correct? So we just born with healthy shame. I would say absolutely. Yeah. Sir, so, um, so does the tipping?
0: so do, could the imbalancement? And again, like you've said, it, it's it. I see it as like it's on a spectrum, a scale. and um, So, so then is it? like parenting and people around you that are bringing you up that could tip that edge because if they're suffering from their own shame and 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 they want to kind of like shut you down and react because they're acting on their shame that can then turn your own shame into a toxic shame depending how much you're around those sort of people, so you could end up quite high on the spectrum of shame. Is that...
1: Yeah, yeah. So what we're saying potentially here is that, you know, there's two ways of being indoctrinated with shame. One is being uh, outwardly shamed, uh, maybe like the example of uh, you, Mike, even though that was maybe a jokey example in terms of somebody just saying you're soppy, but it is a way of shutting you down and stopping your experience of vulnerability and makes you associate with not being somehow, uh, somehow valid for having that emotion. So that was intentional, even if it came from an unintentional place. Yeah. And then you've got shame that's just in the atmosphere. Yeah, that it's just there, that uh, lack of attention, uh, being neglected, uh, all those kind of things, being abandoned. Even though there is not an explicit somebody shaming you, is that what happens with that process is that because you aren't getting your needs met, yeah, you assume it's about you, not about them. Wow. you know, Rather than saying, well, actually my mum or my dad or my significant other is the bad person, we can't tolerate that because we need them to be good. Yeah. So then we have to just own it ourselves, don't we? And say, well, they're doing this because I'm bad. And there's your shame bind. So it can be something explicit where a parent says you're a bad person. Yeah. Or it can be just neglect and abandonment where that individual makes up on an unconscious level often. This is about me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, I mean, it is, so like you've said, it's kind of like a protective thing, a healthy amount as well, because, you know, yeah. you, you could say somebody with no shame could act really sort of, um, what's the word, like antisocial in certain situations, or they could run out into the street naked because they've got no, no shame. Like, where does that come
1: from? Like Being shameless.
0: Yeah, because it kind of for me that that's like the opposite end of how I view shame. Because I mean, I understand my own shame, and I can be very much oh, you know, the other way. But I really can't understand the opposite. Yeah. You know?
1: So I think first of all, just to say that there is never n- no shame. Shame is always in the background. Yeah. Such as fight and flight is always in the background, it's just a big basic mechanism that is there for it to be called forth when it's needed yeah. so the person who as you say has no shame, what we're really saying there is for some reason their, their natural shame uh, actually doesn't enable them to be able to know what's appropriate or not Yeah. yeah. so therefore they don't feel it and it doesn't mean that it isn't operating they just don't feel it because to be truthful yet shame is so difficult because often we are all dissociated out of it which means that it's just too painful to feel so therefore it is like the elephant in the room yeah absolutely not talked about but it is the dissociated elephant in the room what means is that people are not even aware it's there so so it's acting upon us yeah, And so people who are shameless might be shameless because they're so dissociated out of anything that they are not really in touch between what is, what is appropriate and what isn't. What isn't serving them and what is serving. And what's really important is that shame can be impacting on somebody highly, Yeah, if they are well-functioning, a college lecturer, a psychotherapist, who at the end of the day is highly functioning, can just have as much shame there's somebody whose life feels a bit like a train wreck, and you're just going from one crisis to the crisis. The shame, toxic shame, is just coming out a different way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, many, many spiritual um, people say that shame and guilt is like the lowest vibration. And so, yeah. obviously, it's really important. And obviously, the opposite would be joy and, and happiness so this the kind of work you're doing is is so fantastic and so important to help people to come out of this but how do we i don't know if recovers the right word how do we recover or um and deal with shame to return to that joy what
1: yeah yeah i like the word recover you know we can have the word heal yeah we can have any word that Uh, I guess captures this sense of um, being able to move beyond what that keeps us in these negative patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. Yeah, Uh, And when it comes to shame, I think the first thing to recognize with it is that it presents like it's a certainty. It presents like I am flawed, but actually it is a state of mind but we don't experience it as a state of mind. And when I talk about state of mind, I mean thinking, feeling, and, and, and uh, inhabiting that sense of worldlessness. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, it is a certainty. So that's the first thing to be able to recognize that how I think and feel about myself isn't true. Yeah, I am not flawed. And that has to be more from just a cognitive process because the experience shame is kinesthetic. You know, it's grounded in our felt experience. So that's the first step, is yeah. that, and and I would say that is a lifetime's work. Yeah, because when toxic shame comes up, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, it feels so real. You know, and this idea is that I nearly died from shame. Or I just want the floor to swallow me up. Is a real testimony to how powerful shame is. Uh, secondly, you can't heal shame by yourself. Shame is a rupture in the relational field. Yeah, the problem with shame is that not only does it make us feel flawed, it makes us feel like we're the worst person in the world. Yeah, it keeps us alone and silenced. This is a problem. So therefore, if we're going to heal shame, if we're going to recover from shame, then from my point of view, it has to be done relationally with somebody else because we tend to not be able to see through it when somebody else can. So the shame, the toxic shame, the rupture has to be repaired with somebody else, be that a therapist, be that with a healer, uh, you know, be that also from a spiritual sense, from, uh, from God or wherever you get your life energy from. Yeah. So that's the second point, really. Uh, and the third one is self-compassion. Self compassion, yeah, Yeah, which is um, having an empathy for oneself. Yeah, Renny Brown said the antidote for shame is empathy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and by this work that you're doing, like the workshops, you're inviting people into a really safe space, and I guess you're sharing your own stories of shame so that it encourages others to be okay with vulnerability.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I I think the key here, like many things, is that uh, if we talk about grief here, and we say, well, what happens in order for grief to be healed is it needs to be witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. Which would make absolutely sense, and listen, Cooper that astonishing, amazing uh, doctor, who was a in Bremen uh, Studies, would absolutely say that grief needs witnessing. The problem with shame is to be witnessed means to be exposed. So therefore, the cure is also the pain. Yeah, and that pain doesn't want to be revealed because behind that pain, we feel that we're worthless. So it creates a, a self-fulfilling vacuum mm. that we can't escape from until we dare look out and we dare see that we are something different. But to look out from a shame place is very risky because what might be reflected back is what we think is the truth, which is worthless. Yeah. It's so
2: That's you... intense. It?
0: Yeah, it's very. I, I can actually feel that yeah. as I about my own experiences with shame. Um, so, in your workshops and things then, do you find, I mean, I guess everybody don't put the hand up straight away to talk about the shit. Do you find like it takes, you know, do you get people coming back to your workshops and then eventually people start opening up when they feel safer and when they've listened to other people and, you know, I, I, obviously the people that are coming are coming for a reason because they want to, heal from shame so that's a good start obviously
1: but um... well if, if i'm honest, nikki is that often people come to the shame workshops to help other people in the shame and get a shock when they realize and they look in the mirror and realize that they're full of shame so often the difficulty is is that we so often so dissociated out of it we go to help other people with their shame and then you come to a shame workshop and then it's like looking in the mirror as you begin to begin to realise of your own shame. So some people do come to the workshop thinking about their own shame. But the vast majority are just not aware.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. That there is shame underneath. They're not even aware of it. And I mainly do these workshops for psychotherapists and counselors.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So this is the what Rennie Brown would call the silent epidemic.
0: Mm. Yeah, and Brené Brown also talks an awful lot about vulnerability, didn't she, and like the beauty of being vulnerable um, and, and really just getting your, just accepting mm-hmm. that, getting into that non-sort of like perfectionist sort of mindset because we are humans and, and loving yourself for having those imperfections.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: and kind of getting yourself in that more of a vulnerable state, and then I guess it would feel safe once you can get to that state to then sort of share and start to heal.
1: I think the challenge here is that the positive thinking, you know, that being able to work on the roof is really useful, and we need that, and we need to practice self-compassion and all that positive thoughts. Uh, The harder material is at the roots, yeah, because shame is relational and often at those roots is just deep pain. So in the book written by De Young, The uh, Treatment of Chronic Shame, the whole book on shame, her first two words in that chapter, the first chapter, is shame hurts. Yeah. So often, yeah, so that's, that's how the book starts. She's framing the whole book. So here often what underpins shame is deep, deep, deep pain. Mm. Pain that often is so problematic at times, we don't want to feel it. Yeah, so part of my work is gradually helping people to begin to associate with that pain in a safe, as you said, contained way. So that pain can be externalised and discharged uh, because we know the crying isn't the hurt, the crying is the healing. Yeah. And society has it fundamentally backwards. We think that if we stop the crying, we stop the hurt. But actually what we're doing is we're stopping the healing and the recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a, an epidemic that's just as strong as uh, ever been in society. The closing down of people's emotions. And when we close down an emotion, the person experiences shame. Because when I say stop crying, how I associate that with myself is there is something wrong with me, Mike. So therefore I have to Mm -hmm. shut down and then that becomes personal. And that's what we call a shame bind. So therefore your shame then attaches to your tears. So therefore when your tears come up, you have toxic shame attached to them. Mm -hmm. If that happens enough, yeah, then you become uh, shame based which means that any need, uh, any feeling, uh, any urge comes from a toxic place, so it needs to be suppressed.
0: Yeah, I can really relate to that. Yeah, I, I really understand that.
1: Yeah. You've got a felt sense to that, Nikki. I can see. And talking about this stuff is incredibly restrictive. Uh, as I'm talking about it now, I'm getting a slight headache. So even for <laughs> me, who you know, spends a lot of time working on shame, Uh, It's incredibly emotive, Uh, even if you feel detached from it, it doesn't mean it's not emotive.
0: Yes, yeah, totally. Is that
2: the same as that sometimes if you can express something and, and especially if it's personal stuff about yourself, then you're actually releasing that attachment to it? Is that the same kind of thing? Yeah.
1: Yeah, say that again.
2: You, so like you, you know, if you can actually express something, so if I start talking more about the, the the emotions that come up um, whilst watching TV adverts or, or something which is touching my heartstrings, the more I've actually expressed it, then the more I'm actually detaching from it. But but sometimes you can actually get that blindness, you know, when 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 it hits you from out the blue. So there's a lot of things in, in, in play there, isn't there?
1: There is. So, I mean, if you use that example for healthy shame, and unhealthy shame, so therefore, if I begin to be upset, yeah, and my tears come up, yeah, then healthy shame would be able to help me navigate that situation. Is this need for me to cry going to be held by the environment? Am I going to be in a position where people are going to respect me, and they're going to hold me? Uh, If they're not, then my shame stops me from moving forward, and I withdraw. Mm. That's healthy, yeah, because the environment, isn't a safe environment to do it. The problem comes when that happens in therapy, when, you know, I need to cry, I still feel unsafe, even though I'm as safe as houses. And that's where the problem comes, is you can't associate between a safe environment and a non-safe environment. So the world becomes an incredibly threatening place. So somebody who is shame-based, like myself, is there's a part of me that always feels unsafe. Always feels unsafe.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I can relate. I know to that. That, is that. If you come behind me now, I'll jump out of my skin. Yeah. <laughs> you can see traumatized people a mile off, you know. It's just yeah. walk behind it and see how I either jump. <laughs> yeah. But we've been, and another antidote to shame is having a sense of humor about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. You yeah.
1: A sense of humor that is kind of um, gives you some light relief from it. You know so you know there is sense of humor that deflects, and there's a sense of humor that really appreciates your dilemma. So, um, uh, sometimes a bit of a discernment to know which one's which, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so here, isn't it? Is that we've got a situation where many people who share shame based, like myself, are constantly going around feeling unsafe, but they're also dissociated from it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's having two realities is on, on the first. First thing, I look like I'm secure and I look like I am a person broken. You know, I am uh, surviving and just getting through with a front that I'm not even aware of. Yeah. Not even aware of.
0: Well, Well, I mean, thankfully, we've got people like you working with shame then. (laughs) Very, very... It's a very, very expertise area, isn't it? Obviously, psychologists, counsellors and and what have you, but I guess it is quite an expertise even within that field because, I mean, you're saying that you've got quite a lot of psychotherapists, counsellors coming onto your courses because obviously they want to learn more about that specific area.
1: I think the biggest challenge is you can have all the skills, you can be the most uh, qualified an informed counsellor, if you're working with shame, you can't leave your shame at the door, you have to bring it in, yeah? Because if I'm going to work with somebody in their shame, yeah, then I need to have my shame available to me because I need to know how that inertia shame is impacting on my shame, yeah? And yeah. what happens is that I don't want to dance around the client's shame because I'm dancing around my own shame. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. I think that's a challenge, really. Uh, and for all of us who moving are uh, uh, moving towards empowerment, moving towards self-actualization, moving towards wholeness and completeness, is that sometimes we are faced with the biggest of pains. You know, Kaufman said that uh shame is the soul of the sickness of the soul mm. yeah. yeah yeah it doesn't get much deeper than that does it in terms yeah. of our fabric of who we are no
0: nah.
2: you're saying that you know that, that um shame is the sickness of the of the soul so within your workshops what is it that that the people that come onto your workshops what is the biggest takeaway what's the the outcome you know where where, where do they move on to from there
1: I think that's a really good question and after when we start talking about shame, we can quickly just get into the manifestation of toxic shame and it can be very negative and all consuming because that's the experience of shame. So when people come into the workshop and I ask them one word they associate with shame, it tends to be incredibly negative. The majority of people say things like exposure, they say words like humiliation and they say words uh, like hurt. But when they're leaving the workshop, when I ask them what word would they associate with shame now, it tends to be words that are optimistic, that are full of healing. So they tend to say words like light, hope, freedom, Mm. and the beautiful word that you use, Nikki, joy. Because actually within our shame, there is so much growth. In our shame is often the most hurliest hurts that we want to heal and recover from. So I often say that the healing is in the wound. We know that, don't we? So therefore, if shame is a deep wound, then the healing potential from that deep wound is probably the biggest healing potential of all. Because actually what it's doing is that it's freeing us from that stuff that keeps us joyless, that keeps us pinned down to feeling Uh, bad about ourselves to step into our worth step into fully who we can be is really at the heart of shame work it's beautiful
0: yeah wow yeah that's a really good explanation and i just want to say um i'm so thankful um that there are people like you working with this and sharing your expertise and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel for people and um Obviously, you're running these workshops um, you've traveled all over the world delivering these types of workshops and you're now doing them online, which will include in our show notes for mm-hmm. the listeners to link on to. And if you're interested, sign up for the course. But mm-hmm. um, thank you so much, Ellen. As usual, we've really enjoyed this conversation. Really, really interesting subject. So thank you.
2: Thank you, Alan.
1: My Thanks. pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
2: You've been listening to the best podcast. To view show notes and other resources, visit www.burst.fm.
0: Whilst there, also hit the button to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss out. There's also a link to join our Facebook group for all the latest
1: announcements.